Welcome everyone to another episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. This is Short Latina and I am with my co-host Sabritas. Welcome. Hey everyone. Today our guest is Henry Cervantes. He is a peacemaker in Little Village and as you guys know this uh, season is all surrounding uh, De La Villita. Um, welcome Henry. Happy to be here. <laughs> um, so the reason uh, I'm super excited about this episode, we are going to get nerdy, but we're also um, going to talk about some of the work that, uh, Henry, you've been doing in Little Village uh, for a long time. Um, and before we, we jump into that, because I'm, I I'm going to tell you, I just finished an episode of Star Trek to prep for this episode <laughs> when short latina told us we had to watch an episode of star trek i was like oh short latina really 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 making me <laughs> step out of my bounds today i mean but, go ahead go ahead no but i will admit i i <laughs> i did fall asleep short latina i i couldn't do it <laughs> i mean honestly and we're going to get into this, you know, for our listeners, um, to this, this uh, episode is really talking about peacemaking. Um, we're talking about restorative justice practice, which Henry will talk to us more about, about what he's doing in the community with peacemaking. Um, and we're going to talk about Star Trek and the similarities of that show with the work that you're doing, Henry, because I, I what you always reference it, reference to it. And I'm just like, oh, why? But <laughs> makes so much sense makes so much sense and um i know that we have some trekkies uh, that listen to this uh podcast as well so that's just the synopsis right there but um let's get into it let's get into it um before we you know we talk about star trek uh henry can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you're doing right now in the community sure um Again, happy to be here. This is the place to be. Uh, so um, very excited to be on your on your podcast. Um, I think it's very special and very cool what you both are doing. Um, so I think for me, so again, my name is Henry and I work for an organization called the Peace Exchange uh, here in Chicago. Uh, I was born and raised in, in Little Village uh, in La Villita. To me, it's, you know, Little Village is like the center of the universe. So I see the world through the eyes of like my community. Um, and I say that it's the center of the universe because uh, if I ever come back to this world reincarnated, this is exactly where I wanna come back to. Uh, so yep, it's, you know, I think growing up here has influenced how I see the world. And um, it's taught me a lot growing up. So I went to school here, I went to high school here, I live here. And uh, you know, this is where, where I'm gonna stay. Uh, tell me a little bit more. I'm also from Little Village. Um, and all, all my listeners know that because I am very proud to be from La Villita. And so I, I wanna know a little bit more about you, you know, your elementary school experience, your high school experience, where did you attend? And, and can you perhaps share uh, an experience that has really impacted you growing up? Well, there's a lot, right? There's many experiences that have kind of shifted and molded who I am as a man. Uh, you know, I grew up in the east side of the community. I grew up in, uh, you know, by the boulevard. Um, and I went to school at Hammond. I went to high school uh, at Farragut. And so, 
so yeah, that's kind of like in a nutshell where my childhood and my youth years were. So that's kind of where I lived half of my life so far. <laughs> Your peace work has taken you to other parts of the world and you never know where you're going to end up, right? But I, you know, we're talking about Little Village this season and um, we always ask people kind of their experiences growing up. It, it shaped so many people. Um, and we, we had Andrea Guzman uh, last week and her grandmother, Manuelita, and it was so amazing just hearing them talk about their experiences growing up in La Villita. Um, can you give our listeners some context of uh, La Villita as a neighborhood? You know, why, why is it so important that we're discussing this, basically? Um, we're trying to create a picture in, the, in our listeners' minds of what La Villita is like. So I think it's the place, I think outside of Mexico, <laughs> I think it might be first or second where you will find the most Mexicans living abroad that don't live in Mexico. I think it's LA and then I think it's Little Village. <laughs> But I think, um, you know, here, you know, I grew up, uh, it was my, my mother who raised uh, my sisters and I, uh, and I always go back to that, right? Uh, to, to like the root of it. I think we live in a community where um, there's working moms, um, there's working dads or stepdads or no dads. Um, and so I always go back to that, that, uh, that part of my upbringing. You know, my mother and my father immigrated to Chicago And they immigrated to this community when I was literally a baby in my mom's womb. Uh, so my mom was pregnant with me uh, when my parents came to the U.S. Um, and then, you know, I was raised here. My, my mother, my father, you know, they broke up. They were young people when they had me. They were young. And when I mean young, I mean young. And so they were, they were youth. Um, and so, you know, my mother remarried uh, my stepfather. And then, you know, I think growing up with my father and then my stepfather, you know, I always reference that point because I think, you know, not having my father and then being raised by my abusive stepfather really kind of molded my thinking of the world as a kid. Uh, and so for, the, for folks who don't know about Little Village, like I said, it's predominantly Mexican. Uh, it's predominantly immigrants. And we have a lot of issues confronting our communities. Uh, you have immigration, uh, you have uh, the issue of violence, you have the issue of, you know, that this is a working class community. And so there's a lot of issues that confront our community, but I think there's also a lot of resilience and perseverance, uh, which I learned from my mom and, and my sisters growing up. So, um, so yeah, that's just a little bit of, you know, how I was raised. Uh, but if I could put it in a nutshell, I think my, my, my stepfather really instilled in us as children that, uh, you know, we, raised, we were raised in a domestic violence household. So like my earliest memories as a kid were, were you know, domestic abuse, domestic violence against my sister, against my mother, against myself. Um, and then you look outside the window and you see the violence in the community. And so that does impact somebody that it does really 
leave a profound impact in, in young people. And it, it's a big part of why I do the work that I do in peacemaking and restorative justice is to find another way to resolve issues in the community that doesn't involve harming somebody or committing violence. Um, you know, I always say that uh, most of the people in this world are loving and kind people. Uh, and sometimes it's the people that mess everything up that give us a bad reputation. That's mm -hmm. how I kind of think of Little Village. I think um, it's a minority of folks in the community who are maybe causing violence, um, but, you know, violence never should have the last word. It should be, you know, love and care and, and, and support. Mm -hmm. So that's why I do what I do. Uh, to kind of counter that narrative. You know, um, if you ever Google Little Village in the news, uh, all you're going to get is, is negative stuff. Uh, and another part of the reason, too, why I engage in this work is to kind of help change the narrative that exists in our communities. You know, at the end of the day, we are a barrio. At the end of the day, we are, quote unquote, in the inner city. Um, but there's also a beautiful side to our community. Uh, there, there is a remarkable side. We may be poor, uh, but we're rich in other ways. You know, we're rich in, in culture, we're rich in tradition, we're rich in family, we're rich in faith. So I think that's the that's the that's the side that we should try to showcase more of. And and young people should be proud to be raised here. You know, uh, as a kid, as a kid, I was kind of um, <laughs> even in high school when I would leave outside of little little village, I wouldn't say that I was from here because I was kind of embarrassed, you know, because people will judge you, but like, damn, you're from over there. <laughs> they, you know, they, 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 uh, you know, so you, you would hear things, you know, rumors and stuff like that. So. Mm -hmm. I was literally just telling short Latina yesterday, how um, I went to St. Ignatius and everyone. And when I would tell them, when people would ask me where I live, they're like, Oh, by the jail. And I was like, yeah, I guess by the jail. <laughs> I, I, and of course, like always negative connotations, but kind of steering back to what you were talking about, how, you know, your life experience have shaped what, uh, what you do now in your work. Can you tell us a little bit more about your work and what you do in La Vita? Sure. So um, I, I do a lot of uh, work here with young people. I started off, you know, after high school, getting involved in the violence prevention world. So I've had many roles and many hats in the community to advance the, the struggle for, for peace uh, and justice for young people, particularly around violence prevention. Uh, you know, right now my work with the Peace Exchange is I try to recruit young people from the community like ours, right? Uh, and other communities, black and brown communities uh, to engage in training and international travel and to get them to find their voice so they can share their experiences with other young people uh, in the community. And then the other piece that I do too is, as actually you mentioned the county, Sabritas, I, I, I do some volunteer work at the Cook County Jail. You know, I've been there for a couple of years, volunteering my time, working with young men uh, who are incarcerated uh, from many communities. Um, and so like ours, mm, in teaching the, the power of nonviolence and, and, and peacemaking. So I think there's a lot of power there that uh, needs to be tapped into in understanding that you can demand justice and rights through a nonviolent approach in a loving way. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of what I do. Yeah, and um, thank you for sharing, Henry. And your work is so powerful and I've 
I've been in trainings with you and I'm always in awe of everything you share. And, you know, for our listeners that don't know, you've also trained activists in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Central and South America. Um, But my question is, how did you get involved in this work? Who taught you how to be a peacemaker? Because you talked about your experience in domestic violence. And, you know, how, how do you find that path? Well, um, you know, I think some, <laughs> I think some people wake up in one of two ways, right? They wake up either because uh, they've had a lot of support around them and they've been kind of mentored and geared towards, you know, uh, quote unquote, being woke. And then there's the, the tragic experiences that wake somebody up. Uh, I think for me, it was the, it was the latter, right? It was, it was um, a tragedy that occurred in our family. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, when I was at Farragut. Um, you know, I always think back, you know, my earliest childhood memories were my mother being beaten by, you know, a vacuum cleaner um, or stuff like that. You know, those images will never leave your mind. And, and as a child, even up to high school, I thought that that was normal. I thought in everybody's house, that's what people did. Um, and so, you know, we were kind of accustomed to it. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, when I was a junior in high school, uh, you know, one of these incidents took place and we all, you know, we all went into our rooms and hid and waited for the screaming and the yelling to stop and all that. And, um, you know, my, you know, one of my little sisters who was a Castellanos at the time, she was a seventh grader, you know, and, and unfortunately, you know, she decided to take her life in our home. And, and, and I still remember that day. And it really kind of woke me up that violence should never, ever be tolerated, uh, you know, uh, ever. Like nothing justifies it, uh, particularly when young people, you know, have to lose their lives, uh, children or youth. Um, and so that kind of woke me up and it changed my life forever. So if there's a time where that motivated me to take a stand, and that's what I think where activism really starts is when you take a stand and you're like, I don't stand for this, you know? I think that's where you cross the line. Uh, I think it happened to me when I was 17 years old. Um, and then little by little, I started to kind of wake up and uh, looking for other ways. So, you know, from the time I was 17 to till, till about, I was about 21, those were very like dark years in my personal life. Um, but thankfully, thankfully, I came across uh, some written works. Um, I started reading, I started painting, I started trying to uh, really kind of take care of, of myself. And I discovered, you know, uh, I found refuge in reading. So I, 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 I kind of fell in love with, with the works of like, you know, Dr. King and, and Thich Nhat Khan and, 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 and discover that there is such a thing of men, of male figures, of male role models, of father figures that will stand on the side of love, care, and nonviolence. Because everything that I knew as a kid was the opposite, right? For you to be a a man, for you to be the person in charge, it was the opposite of that. It was the opposite of love. It was the opposite of care. It was the opposite of support. Um, and so that's kind of where I started. It was at that point. Um, and thank 
goodness, you know, I came across the works yeah. of Dr. King. Uh, so that was my start. That was my start. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> I'm sorry to go so. No, no, please do not apologize. Go that, there. That, I no. mean, this is a safe space. And I think our listeners will appreciate you being vulnerable with us. And because, you know, people can identify with, with a story like yours. So thank you for sharing. Um, Sabritas, you were going to say something. No, I was going to say oh, no. No, I, I was just going to kind of reiterate what you had just said, where al contrario, like, thank you for sharing and feeling comfortable enough to, to share your story with our listeners. And so kind of going back to, uh, you know, the origin of your practices, could you tell us um, a little bit more of kind of like your work style? Like how, how do you share your, what are your um, strategies kind of approaches with your work? And, and interacting with the community. Sure. Um, so, you know, after that, after that took place, when, when I decided to quote unquote, become an activist and take a stand for peace and justice, um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to take a trip out to South Dakota to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation with uh, some, some people doing work there between the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation and South Dakota. Uh, uh, for those folks who don't know Pine Ridge, Indian reservation, that's where indigenous people live, the Lakota Sioux traditionally. The reservation is where the government has placed indigenous people. And so we were there for about a week um, and that blew my mind away. I mean, um, meeting indigenous people. I mean, I went to Chicago public schools, right? Uh, and so I thought that, <laughs> I thought indigenous people were like from the past, you know? I thought that, I thought that they were killed and there was, a, you know, that that was it. And so when we went there, it really woke me up to, to appreciate the, 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 the fact that even indigenous traditions can continue to this day, um, despite all the colonization um, and all the, you know, everything that else that has happened in our history, that indigenous traditions can still exist. That blew my mind away. Uh, so I remember we were in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. There was an elder who held like a circle. He called it a talking circle. And I remember sitting in this circle and at first I was like, what, what is going on? You know, like all these indigenous people, all these teepees, like they're in their ceremonies. Like I, for me, it was kind of like a dream. And, and uh, the elder went around the circle and I remember they were using a talking stick, you know, and, and traditionally in indigenous cultures, they have these, this method of communicating in a circle. Restorative practice, by the way, takes a lot of their inspiration from indigenous people. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, in the restorative justice world, there could be more done to honor those indigenous traditions. Yes. So that's part of why I do what I do. Um, and so I was sitting in that circle and this elder asked me what I thought. And that was the first time in my life that I was asked I was already pretty much an adult by then. I was 18 years old. And they asked me what I thought about something. And that was the first time I remember anybody asking me what I thought about anything. Um, and so it really left a profound impact on me. Uh, seeing their ceremonies. I mean, I learned about their vision quest. I learned about their sweat lodges. I, I, I learned about their, their, their smoking uh, uh, ceremonial spaces to, to talk and heal like heal each other and talk through healing with each other. That blew my mind away. 
And that really inspired me to look and find more about my own roots, right? Because I was at the reservation, I was sharing with indigenous First Nations, Lakota people. And I was like, what about my roots? What about my tradition? And so that's when my journey began to discover my roots. Uh, and a lot of what I do uh, is inspired by that. You know, I have a, my own dance group of Danza Azteca, <clears throat> of Aztec dance to kind of pass on that oral tradition. Because I think for me, you know, it was culture uh, and nonviolence that really saved my life uh, mm -hmm. and encouraged me to go in this other path, right? I think for a lot of people, particularly a lot of young men in our communities, um, we might choose the easy route, uh, you know? But I think if folks who choose peace and nonviolence, that's, that's, a, that's kind of like a tougher road to take because uh, you are engaging with trying to resolve issues. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think we live in a culture where people just want to win. <laughs> they don't want to resolve anything. They just want to mm -hmm. win, mm -hmm. whether it's in arguments or in causes or whatever. But how do we get to the solution? And I think for, for me, culture uh, and nonviolence, uh, I think those are the keys for me. And, and those are the things that I've seen work from my own experience. Mm -hmm. So I try to share that with other people. Yeah, and, and it's almost, well, you said so many important things and I almost want, no, it's, well, because you, you mentioned um, right now schools um, across the nation are, are adopting the restorative justice practices. Um, and I feel like exactly what you said, they don't give, um, they don't honor the roots of that practice, right? They just say, let's make a circle and people that practice it say, it's, oh, it's so nice. I feel so good, right? But I think it's so important to to mention where it comes from. Um, you know, they are also teaching children to breathe in, breathe out. That also comes, and you mentioned Tignanta, and that comes from Buddhism, but they don't say that, right? Because it's a Christian nation. All these things that have been whitewashed and westernized um, are being taken from other cultures. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. Um, and so with that, I have a question. Um, what do you suggest people do that want to practice restorative justice practices or are already doing it? Um, but what is your recommendation to ensure that it's honoring the, its roots? I would, I would tell anyone who's engaged in, in, in restorative justice work to really look inside themselves and ask themselves, why are they doing this? Um, you know, and like, why are you doing this, right? Uh, and then, because I think we all have our own biases, particularly in conflict and social justice. I mean, we come to the table with biases. Um, so I would, I would challenge people, what are your biases, you know? And how do you handle conflict? How were you raised to handle conflict growing up? Because that influences you one way or another. Um, the other thing I would say is for folks to really um, acknowledge uh, the, the, the ancestors, whether they be black, native, indigenous, brown, uh, Asian, or white. I mean, we have to honor different traditions because they taught us, I mean, the, the, what we do with the circles or with the restorative, quote unquote, restorative practices, Th those are tools and strategies 
that have been cultivated over generations, right? Like, um, and so what, what I like to do with the youth is, 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 you know, do some grounding meditations, honoring and giving specific names, specific tribes, specific people, because our young people need to understand that we come from a legacy of mm -hmm. giants. I mean, like, whether you're Latino, Black, Indigenous, I mean, we come from uh, an incredible history of resistance, an incredible history of, of, of like communities of cooperation, right? Mm -hmm. and, and building our people up. And unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, they, they don't really teach us that stuff in schools, you know? Nope. <laughs> um, I remember at the county, because it's predominantly black and brown young men, and, and a lot of them are, 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 are former public school students. I remember asking the young Latino brothers inside, I said, gentlemen, I want you to give me the name of some Latino people who have given back to the community, either now or in history. <laughs> and I remember like, they were just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like, like, you know, I can't say those certain words on your podcast, but yeah, sure you can. Oh, <laughs> you yeah, there's no censorship here at all. We oh, got no, no filter. But <laughs> they're like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> so, but anyways, like one one of the gentlemen, he started laughing, right? He's like, uh, Cesar Chavez. And I was like, okay. That's a start. Great. And, and that's a start, right? And I'm like, okay, any other names? And they're like, you know, they're like, I don't know, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you want know. from me? It's so like, it's fascinating, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so it's, I mean, this is why we have to teach and we have to give those names, you know, because to, to really honor our past, I mean, it's, it's, it, we're honoring people mm. and, and people who've made our world a better place. And, and, and yeah, mm. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I, it makes me think that, you know, we can leave a recommendation of readings if you have any to recommend to our listeners, because I have some, some in mind, but I think from you would be, you know, important. Um, so listeners can have something to, to grab onto. Uh, Cause sometimes you're like, okay, where do I start? You know, you mentioned Martin Luther King. Okay. Like, you know, there's so many works uh, and you know, it's almost like people can feel overwhelmed and not know where to start. And my fear is that they'll start in the wrong place. Like reading, you know, about yoga from, you know, the wrong people that buy Lululemon and whatever. So I'm just saying it's, it's, yeah, I'll leave it there. I don't want to offend anyone that wears Lululemon. <laughs> um, but anyway, all right, Henry, <laughs> sidetracked it completely. You know, you, and then, okay, I want to bring it back to, you mentioned, you're like, you know, um, peacemaking and everybody wants to win. And, you know, you want to get to the answer. Everybody wants to be right. Yes. And it reminded me of Star Trek, which is also something I want to discuss with you because, well, we'll, we'll get to, to Sabrita's uh, experience watching Star Trek. But Sabrita's, and I got to tell you, Sabrita's, <laughs> I, I grew up, trust me, when I was a kid, like I learned to speak English because of like television, right? Because <laughs> I didn't learn to speak English really till fourth grade. And so I would watch, I would watch The Simpsons. And then after The Simpsons, mm -hmm. Star Trek show would come on, right? And I was like, oh, what the hell is that? And I would just fall asleep. 
so I discovered I discovered Star Trek later in life so it's all good how old were you it was uh what last year <laughs> you lie <laughs> no I'm not I'm for real it's like what is this holy smokes where have I been have I been living under a rock well, tell us, okay, Sabritas, first you tell us your your experience uh, with Star Trek. There's there's not much to tell, short Latina. Like How I would you, said, you fell asleep? asleep. <laughs> I, I, you remember? I genuinely cried, but no, um, no, I, I, I seriously cannot. I fell asleep, short Latina. There's nothing for me to tell you, but I did. Did you like it? No, I did not. It was... This is the thing, Latina promised me that it would be, she was like, it's better. She was, she said it's better than Star Wars. I didn't I say said, better. Oh. I said different, different. I did not it's say better because I did not say better. I, I said that it had, it was better. It had better. It was more diverse. Yes. More diverse. Um, it has better representation. I'll give you all of those points, Henry. Yes diverse before star wars was ever diverse the stories are complex there is history there is culture and it makes it's it's a recipe for like a perfect show right but then when you sit down and watch it it's so slow it's like it's like you gotta meditate almost while you watch it to be able to take in the message and really be like and, and like almost like resonate with it and be like, how does this apply to my life? And like, I don't got time for that. I'm just, I'm used to like, you know, flash here, movement, explosion. And um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Henry. I feel like Star Trek is built differently. Yes. So, I, you know, I, I, so I, I, I do a lot of reading, right? Ever since like I was 18, I, I, <laughs> I discovered reading. And, and uh, so I would always like one of my favorite writers introduced me to because one of my favorite writers is a Trekkie, right? And I discovered, I discovered, and this is what got me into Star Trek, right? And I didn't really get into it like for real, for real till, till last year. But, um, you know, I always knew that Dr. King was a huge Star Trek fan. I read Dr. King, right? So I looked at Dr. King's influences. Mm-hmm. Gandhi was a big influence of Dr. King. And he was like a huge Trekkie. You lie. No, I'm not lying. No, it's so it's so the, it's so the so the, the original Star Trek came out in the '60s, right? And and I mean the creator, like I mean, this guy was like he he was he was really sticking his neck out because of the stuff that he was portraying on television. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. You have a diverse Starfleet command. You know, you have a black woman who is in charge of your communications. You have a Russian co-pilot. You have a Japanese pilot. I mean, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really think about it. Um, and so, you know, long story short, what really got me was when Dr. King told uh, Lieutenant Uhura, who's, who's, who's the character in Star Trek, the African-American woman who's in charge of the communications for the, for the ship, uh, he had told her, because she was, she was going to leave the show, but he had convinced her, like, to stay on for the struggle, right? Because this is during the height of the civil rights movement. There was really no black actors being showcased on television anywhere. And here you have, you know, Lieutenant Uhura, uh, who is a high ranking officer 
in, in outer space. Uh, it was, it was, that, that's really got what got me into it. And I was like, I gotta check this out. Like there's more to hear, you know, if Dr. King is getting involved <laughs> and keeping the, the cast together here, um, you know, what, 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 what is this show saying? So that's, that's what really got me into it. Um, and so, you know, I, I watched the, the original series that was filmed in the sixties and early seventies. And then I watched the next generation and like, these shows blow my mind because I'm like, like, even if you're not an activist or anything like that, like you don't need to take a class, you know, and in, in, in social justice or anything like that, you know, just, just watch Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> they, they will, they will, uh, they will, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I mean, and the other thing too, and I'll, and I'll say this too, uh, Sabritas and short Latina, I'll say this too. Um, I resisted fiction forever. Like I resisted fiction forever until I read Dr. King. And then that's what got me more interested in like, holy smokes, you know, um, I sh probably should check out fiction, you know, because I, I was stuck in this nonfiction world. Mm -hmm. And I think fiction is a, is, a, is a fascinating way to tell the truth about what's happening mm -hmm. and you can get away with it. Yeah, I mean, there are so many interesting episodes and well, what's your favorite episode? Well, it depends uh, in the original series or the next generation. Listen, I don't even know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so in the original series, you have Spock, uh, you have Spock. Oh yeah. Okay. Monster, and, uh, and you have Captain Kirk. And, uh -huh. and, uh, so in the original series, there's an episode cause you know, they're, they're going throughout the galaxy and they're finding all these cultures. So they come mm -hmm. up. So every episode is they come in contact with another culture and they're not trying to impose their beliefs on the new culture. They're not, they're not, colonizers. They're not colonized. It's a, it's a peace ship, right? They're trying to understand the galaxy to go where no man has gone before. That's like the premise of the show, right? And so one of my favorite ones is they come across a, 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 a group of people that are at war with each other. And uh, it's like it's like two types of people, and it's funny because one group is like literally their faces are painted half black and half white, and the other group is also painted half black and half white, but on the other side, mm -hmm. right? So it's like they're black and white, both of them, but they're on different sides, and so one group is the oppressor, and the other one is the oppressed. And they come across, and this has been a fight that's been going on for centuries in this one planet, right? And this is during the 60s. Mm. I mean, how bold are you? Know, when I saw that, I'm just like, holy smokes. Like, that's the history of oppression. That's the history of resistance. Basically summed up in a battle, in an episode, you know, because the oppressor thinks they're right. The, the, the oppressed want to be free. So how do you solve this? How do you solve this? Um, and so it's just a genius episode because both sides want to destroy each other. So how do you save a people who are so polarized, you know, where you have one side that wants to destroy the oppressor and one side that wants to destroy the oppressed? How does, the, how does, the, how do, how does that planet survive? It blew my mind away. I mean, I was like, holy smokes, what is this? What am I watching? 
it was pretty neat. So that was my favorite episode in the uh, one of my favorite episodes in the original series. In the original. How about the new generation? And that's with uh, Captain Picard and Data. And I learned that today. Yeah, yeah. So so I love so so I love Data, uh, his second officer, you know, Riker. I mean, I mean, I think something cool about Star Trek that I love is this idea of leadership and how do you lead? Right, because uh, and and who do you surround yourself with as a team? And it's all about like you know the 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 the, the commanding, you know who's at the what do they call it? Who's at the helm, right? Or who's on the bridge? They call it the bridge. Like who's on the bridge, right? And so you need people of different cultural traditions. You need people who have different skill sets, right? It's mm-hmm. all diverse in both in both series. But in the new in the in the next generation. There's a, there's a, there's a lot, but uh, I think one of my favorite ones from the next generation is where they, it's a double episode. It's a double episode where uh, they come across a, a alien life form. That's a big like cubicle that is, they're called the Borg. It's like the Borg there's a bunch of robots and their, and their, their, their reality is they're saying is resistance is futile. And so if you resist, we will kill you. Like that's how they operate. And so they come across this, this ship. It looks crazy. I mean, these guys look like, like technology, technological robots with like lasers and stuff. And they kidnap the captain and they make the captain part of their side. And so like, it's ridiculous, you know, it's mm-hmm. amazing. And so then the second commanding officer, Commander Riker and the Lieutenant Data, they have like a double war to fight, right? Because they have to defend their own. They want to save the captain who's been taken over by the opposition. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that without trying to destroy life? And so I think like what it does, what Star Trek doesn't say, and I think they should, is that they are really trying to navigate the universe in... In, a, in the most ethical way you can and trying to achieve justice in, in without harming people as much as you can. It's mm-hmm. fascinating. So that was my favorite one is when they come across yeah. the board. Versus, you know, Star Wars where, you know, you blow up a ship and it's like, well, I guess they died. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no consequence, right? To, to the violence. It's like, eh, it happened. Um, and I love Star Wars, but because I've been more exposed to, to Star Wars. And, you know, wh- what do you think, Sabritas, after hearing uh, Henry express his love in episodes, what do you think now? You think you're going to give it a chance? I, I'm always down to give it a chance. No, <laughs> why are you laughing, Henry? Why are you laughing over there? <laughs> I will be giving it a chance. <laughs> Let's combine it with peacemaking. Do you use... Uh, references from star trek when you were teaching at the cook county jail not yet because i think the guys will fall asleep on me <laughs> okay <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> no no uh, no but but it's crazy because like there's i think there's really cool ones like that you can show but you kind of have to set it up in such a way right you, like this is what mm-hmm. you're gonna see and what's your reaction to it Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of folks um, who might not be familiar with like, um, like what's between the lines, right? Because um, mm-hmm. I've also seen the Star Wars uh, 
what was it the, the first three episodes and then the the next three episodes so so star wars is cool too like i check them out i mean it's pretty mm -hmm. cool stuff i mean it's pretty cool stuff um but you know i think there's definitely specific episodes that i do want to share um you know with with people particularly who haven't been introduced to to fiction work because hey it's fiction right so we can we can talk about this mm -hmm. we can talk about this in a safe way because we're not really talking about reality we're talking about you know mm -hmm. yeah the, i don't know the name of the episode that i watched today but basically captain um picard uh is that his name yeah uh captain picard um he gets like a beam from a spaceship like a like he just gets like hit by by like a wave of of energy or whatever and then he goes in like a trance he just falls down and then he lives a whole fucking life in 25 minutes and he has a wife he has kids he has the flute he has the flute he has the flute he learns to play the flute and um he has grandchildren and then i don't want to give it away but basically he lives a full life i don't, I don't want to give it away <laughs> Well, well, he lives a whole life but but you don't know well okay i give it away kind of <laughs> but the message i didn't give the message away but then he okay, wakes okay. up i'm not gonna say what else happened but at the end of the episode you're just like okay so like how is he not crying like like you just kind of i'm just kind of processing like how is he not in therapy right now he lived a full life and then he woke up and that life is gone. And yeah. then I, you know, it, it was, I'm still processing it because I just watched it. And then I'm, you know, they have this message of like live in the now and like enjoy life in the now. Um, because, you know, life could be taken away at any moment. And you're like, oh, whatever. I guess you taught me something today, Star Trek. But like, you know, I was so salty. But then I do appreciate that it is it is almost like a short story and then it's played out like a play. It almost feels like Shakespearean. So I do appreciate the work that people, you know, have put in into that show. What do you have to say about that, Saritas? What do you, what do you, what are you thinking? What do I have to add to Star Trek yes. I didn't watch? Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let me ask you this. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about its success. Like, we have the Star Wars franchise, which was, you know, we've talked about how it was, uh, you know, taken by Disney. And then we had the Star Trek movies, you know, but they didn't do so well. Do you, you know, is it because we're so used to seeing violence? Like, I'm trying to also understand the the psychology behind it because in star trek you don't see people just shooting guns and like blowing stuff up like no people have like a full conversation and talk about it and like it was like what's the best decision you guys and then like no not that you know it's a full thing and then um a part of me is like oh my god just just get it do it like turn it off or you know get it over sure, with. that's like i'll i'll <laughs> what i'm trying to say is what do you think is the reason, Henry, that Star Trek was, it, it does have a big following, but the movies did not kind of, you know, have the same, I don't know what the word is. Well, 
I've only seen like the the original series episodes, the seasons, and mm-hmm. I've seen the next generations. I have not seen the films. You know, I have not seen the the major movies. I've only seen like the the series. You know, the mm-hmm. of the original and then the next generation. Um, but I think you got it right on the head that you know I think about what what I think is special about it is the it's the dialogue, and and <clears throat> decision making. How do you make a decision? You know. How do you make a decision? Like if you're going to go to war with another group of people, um, what's the most ethical way to go about it? The cool thing about Star Trek is that they have this quote unquote prime directive, right? They have like a directive, right? And they all swear like they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to follow the captain's orders, et cetera. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what I do like though, however, about, about Star Wars is that it's also, I feel it's also... A, a, a battle of, of like moral arguments, you know, mm-hmm. like that blew my mind away too. Um, and, but you know, that, that's, that's what I think Star Trek does really good. It's like the dialogue and like, how do you approach a situation, you know, without having to like respecting other people's sovereignty, mm-hmm. but also carrying out your mission. And that's based on dialogue. That's based on reasoning. That's based on, you know, um, uh, taking a stand. And yeah, you know, I could see, yeah, I mean, there is some action in there. Not as yeah. much as, as Star Wars. There is yeah. some action, you know. Um, but they also got some remarkable, remarkable, like, villains. Like, I don't know if you guys ever seen, like, Q. He's, like, the main, like, evil dude in Star Trek. And he makes an appearance throughout the, throughout the series. Yeah. But Q is like, man, like you kind of fall in love with this like evil side mm-hmm. of the universe, you know? Um, and so I think, and I think Star, Star Wars does that too, you know, with, with Vader and understanding like the whole history behind that. But anyways, I'm not going to go f- no. too far into that. No, I I'm like this. Star Wars, um, I'm not a Star Wars expert. Right, uh, neither seen, are we. Yeah. But theory and this is this might be like really nerdy and like i don't know i'm just going to i'm just going to take a shot in the dark here but like when i think about star wars i feel like it is very black and white at least the the original ones because it is set up in a religious system you know it's almost like a religion the jedi the it's almost like they're they're monks they're priests right it's very it's a, i feel like the foundation of everything that star wars is almost like founded on like other religions like that's what it's inspired by and star trek is not i feel like it's a little bit not that they're atheist because i don't know they don't mention that but it's it's a little bit more logical it's not based on emotion it's not based on like what you know this is wrong this is right it's like no wait a minute let's have a conversation but star wars is like black and white good versus evil there is no middle there's no I mean and I think the new ones <clears throat> I mean well I don't know I think the the books and the comics uh, are able to find a little bit more gray area but I I do see that difference where, where the religious aspect takes you know a bigger role in Star, in Star Wars I don't know people can disagree with me that's what I think <clears throat> just need to breathe <laughs> yeah I agree with you and let's take a break
we're back. Today, we have Henry Cervantes uh, here with us today. He's been talking to us about his childhood experiences growing up in La Vita and how they shaped him into the restorative justice work that he does today. And so what led him into his restorative justice work? Um, Henry, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the work that you're doing today? Sure thing. So, uh, you know, right now, uh, during the day, I'm teaching, you know, fifth through eighth graders across different Chicago schools, uh, uh, peace building. So teaching them uh, nonviolence at the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade level. And I enjoy it so much. I mean, it's like uh, introducing this idea of conflict resolution at a very young age. It's like, it's a lot of fun and it's amazing to hear like what, like, how young people think about conflict and how they engage in conflict. And so I do a lot of that work through the peace exchange, you know, teaching peace education, you know, since 2017 through the peace exchange, we've reached over 6,000 children in our curriculum, uh, training them in, in, in peace theory, but also practice. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. And, and then uh, the, other, the other part of this too, um, you know, right now I'm in, I, I, I co-chair a foundation in Chicago called Crossroads Fund, and we, you know, fund grassroots activism, grassroots organizing, uh, grassroots groups working for racial, social, and economic justice. And so, you know, I support Crossroads, you know, I'm the chair of the board, I'm the co-chair of the board, but, um, you know, I started off as a kid in my early activism, I was, they were like, they would fund our work in Little Village. And so I've been connected to Crossroads. Crossroads is in my DNA. And so anything that I can do to support the Crossroads Fund, because you know I think what we try to do out in the community is kind of support young activists, emerging groups working for justice. Um, and kind of that's kind of like where, where my head is at right now at this point in my life is how can we support emerging activists to, to carry on the work, you know, how do we support the next generation of youth activists, you know, basically taking a stand and fighting for justice in their own way. And so that's what, that's what, uh, that's what inspires my work. You know, I think what we do with our time, what we do with our talents and what we do with our money tells us who we are. And can you tell us how our listeners can support Crossroads and your work in general? So like this year, Crossroads is celebrating 40 years of funding grassroots movements. Uh, we have a virtual celebration. It's a three-day virtual celebration. It kicks off on Wednesday, March 17th at 7 p.m. We're going to have Amy Goodman as a special guest, um, you know, and we're going to have, you know, we, every year we give awards to, to young people and different activist groups doing work in the city. And so if people want to get involved, check us out, crossroadsfund.org. Uh, you can give to our campaign there. Uh, you can see our grantees, who we fund, who we support. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, I would say get involved. Um, that's what I always tell young people. You know, if you want to get involved in social justice, uh, if you can't give your time, if you can't give your talent, you can give some dollars to the movement. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's what we can do. Nice. And I wanted to ask, so we ask all of our listeners, Henry, and I know you, we've already talked about Star Trek and I don't know what's nerdier than Star Trek, but 
what makes you nerdy? <laughs> I love to read, Sabritas. I love to read. Like, what like, are you reading right I, now? I, honestly, honestly, uh, what I'm reading right now here, I'll show you. I'm reading a book by Black Elk, okay, called Black Elk Speaks, okay, a Native American chief. And, and I'm also reading this book right here called, called Muhammad, the founder of, of, of Islam. So, you know, uh, Islam means peace. A lot of people don't know that. I'm always reading. Um, remember I told you I started reading when I was 18? I kid you mm -hmm. not, I got rid of my television at 18. Like, mm -hmm. I haven't had a TV since I was 18. And so, like, uh, anything of value in my house is probably my books, you know? So... Mm -hmm. What makes me nerdy? I guess that I love to read. Uh, I guess Star Trek makes me nerdy too. Uh, but I think for me, what blows my mind away is like knowledge. It just like blows my mind away. Thank you so much for joining us and we're out. Peace. <laughs> that was good. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. Please share us, review us, and send us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. We'd also like to thank our guests and Madera Once for allowing us to use their beautiful music for this episode. Please join us in the next episode of Nerdy Latinas Podcast. <laughs>